There's one massive lie, though, that you said that I have to call out. One thing <laughs> I just fundamentally disagree with that you said, which was way at the beginning. You said Brandon has a mutual friend of you. And Brandon doesn't have friends. So everything else spot on. Everything else is spot on. That suspect at best. He lost all credibility to start the podcast. <laughs> uh, and the, the audience knows. Don't worry. They know. But it's time. Anything else on this before I segue us? There's right. probably like a million things, but yeah. Uh... yeah. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, use the scientific method. By the way, I love the idea of like making like a marketing analyst, marketing ops analyst, make me like a tag board with their scientific method. Like it was a science fair sort of tag board. It's <laughs> just like a thing that I want. Just yeah, a thing that I want to happen. Do you remember the tripod? Like, yeah, like the tripod. Yeah, exactly. yeah, I want yeah. them to like put their here's my hypothesis. Here's my yeah, all of it. Maybe use some data, strings and connects. Like, a, you know, know. like the volcano out front and all those things. So <laughs> I just. Yeah, 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 exactly. I need it. I need that in my life for some reason. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the OG Ops Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Henderson, and I'm joined, as is tradition, by Brandon. Go ahead and say hi. Hey, hey, how's it going? Cool. And we have a guest episode today. We're joined by Jessica Cow, who is the Senior Director of Marketing Operations and Analytics at F5. Is that the full title, Jessica? That is the full title. That is the full title. Got it. They need to add another and on there, like a couple more (laughs) just to like progress. So it doesn't fit in LinkedIn, right? They need to make it a little longer. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, super excited. And I want to dive right in. Jessica, for people who don't know who you are. Yes. Want to introduce yourself? Okay. All right. Sounds good. Hi, I'm Jess Cow. Well, who, what I own, um, that super long title, Marketing Operations and Analytics, is really, um, I own all of marketing technology. So that's marketing automation, all the marketing tech stack. I own project and program management as well, and the data and analytics team for marketing. So that's the performance of marketing, the data specifically for marketing. I own all three groups. It's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. All right. You that got through that lot. really fast. You got through that really fast though. Like you've done this a few times. Ooh, Maybe. Deep breaths and get through that a few more times. <laughs> Maybe. I may have done another podcast earlier this week on marketing ops leadership, but that's a totally different thing. Um, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah so, it's, it's all the same. This is an ops <laughs> podcast. That's also right? the same. Like, it's yeah, all the same. Yeah. Well, okay. what, what Jess hasn't mentioned is seven-time Marketo champion. I mean, for those, for those who don't see the video, she's also got a ton of awards behind her. She knows her shit. I thought about getting like my high school wrestling trophies and putting them behind me just there you go. so that Jess wouldn't feel. You want the other one? You want the other one? The they can't, they can't see. Oh. This is the podcast, Jess. They oh, can't, can't see, see what you're doing. No, it's not going to see a video. For everybody listening, Jess, Jess just routinely <laughs> reached behind her and grabbed <laughs> trophies and showed them to us. I feel like I have to describe it verbally so they can see the goings-ons of what's it, happening. It's very right. impressive. It's impressive very impressive, and nobody will ever know. They will never know. Well, you know, cast, podcast, you know, they're all this. The video is just this on on YouTube. The video sure. is just so that we have a better conversation. I don't want to put no. the video out there in the world. Yeah, um, people don't want to see your face. You're right, Jordan. Yeah, I know. Hey, it's, hey, it's bad. It's bad. Like that. <laughs> I, got a, I got a face for radio. But so, Jessica, hmm. I think it's actually important context in this scenario yes. to talk about your background, which is not a thing we typically do on the podcast because typically I don't care that much. But <laughs> I, this, you have a really interesting background, and I think it layers into your your current role and how you like a very different way to approach your role. So, talk about your background. Inform yeah. the audience. 
yeah, before the, the marketing days. Before the marketing part, right? Nobody yeah, cares. Yeah, yeah. I've been in marketing yeah. ops for like a decade. Nobody cares about that, right? What they really <laughs> yeah. care about is that I was a music major. No, actually, they don't care about that. <laughs> <laughs> what they really care about is the fact that I have a PhD in cancer biology and genetics. My PhD was specifically on data pattern recognition and the predictive signatures of breast cancer. Now you're like, well, how the, how the heck does that have anything to do with marketing? Well, if you think about it, it's actually the same analysis where we're looking at signals, right? In this case, you know, we're looking at breast cancer signals and trying to predict if you're going to have like aggressive breast cancer or not. It's the same exact methodology that is used if you look at all the predictive algorithms for like predicting audiences, predicting, right? Use all work for companies or use marketing technology where you're trying to predict something, right? It's the same thing. Instead of DNA, RNA, proteins, and looking at those signals, we're looking at signals of people, their behavior, and can we predict their likelihood being a customer? And as a scientist, we are designing experiments in our, whether it's marketing or sales or BDR, we're trying to do things to make the little people run through the maze to go buy the cheese, which is to buy our products. And so how we're trying to optimize, how we're trying to like increase ROI, A-B testing, that all comes from a scientific, right? I have a science background because I actually sat in the lab experiment <laughs> and actually taught scientists. I actually taught, I used to teach a three-day course. Like my first job out of school was to help scientists do their experiments and actually taught scientists how to do better science experiments. And so added fact was, I don't know why, but there were actual like science journals that that, you know, when you submit and write your paper, like I was on the editorial board of like, do you pass or do you not? Did you conduct a good science experiment or not? And like, oh, your statistical significance off. Reject the paper, right? Like now with COVID and everything, we talk about peer review. We hear a lot about like, this is a non-peer reviewed study because they want to get it out. So most scientific studies have to be peer reviewed. And I was the mean person who like, no, statistically, scientifically, this is not a sound experiment. Your five years worth of work, too bad, sucks to be you. You should have thought about that beforehand. We, so, we need peer-reviewed marketing That's programs, what I was just thinking. Right? Like, who, who peer-reviews your marketing analysis? <laughs> right? As marketing ops, we should do that. And if that were the case, I'd reject probably 95% of what I see out there because it's terrible. It's pretty terrible, right? 14 people open an email. What's the statistical significance of your subject line? There isn't any. Goodbye. I would... I have. I feel like I just have to point out that you use just a random percentage to describe how much you would reject, and like I reject that percentage because there's no data to stand it <laughs> up. No ninety five percent. I haven't seen the data to support that you would reject ninety five percent. Is all I'm saying. That's you're a marketing hypothesis. ops. That's true, right? That's true. So I'll go get you the data as a marketing ops, yeah. and I see all the all the stuff. I would just reject because <laughs> it's pretty bad, right? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, okay. So hypothesis data driven thinking, right? That's, That's what I'm going to call this. That's like the four words from what you've gone through that I've understood, which is <laughs> which is exciting. So well, first, I have multiple questions. I have layers of questions. <laughs> the first question I have is I want to make this like relatable for the audience, right? So yep. we talk about data driven thinking. You're talking about I would reject most people's data decisions. Now they're all going like, to hate me. <laughs> well, you, first off, you called your customers mice in a maze looking for cheese. So there's other problems. But <laughs> second, second, You're not like, trying to make friends here. Yeah, like we, we've already burned bridges. Let's just burn it, right? Like at this point. I don't know if anybody picked up on that, but I had to call it out. But I want to make this applicable because we all use different pieces of our background as strengths in our roles and operations, right? And so I want to drill in on the specific topics. When we talk about like data-driven thinking, hypothesis data-driven thinking, take me through the logic hypothesis data-driven decision-making mm -hmm. when you're doing something practical like attribution, mm -hmm. what does that look like for you? How does it impact what you're doing? 
Well, I think I think there's there's actually two parts I think to that, which is attribution for attribution. And typically, people who've seen me in the community, you know, I talk a lot about attribution, how to do it, how to do it right. So we're going to leave the setup, right? The setup. But let's just pretend your setup is perfect, right? Mm-hmm. Which that is a yeah, challenge. you've got itself. you've got great attribution, right? Let's just start with you've got great attribution, and then how do you layer on that hypothesis-driven lens onto that? What that what does that really mean? And where do I see the fallacies a lot? Because and you know, like it's not to not like most marketers aren't scientists. Most marketers didn't go to school for science being a scientist most of them have communications degrees right (laughs) (laughs) exactly or psychology or the most generic you can major in yeah yeah. Genetics. I was in, you know, in the medical school campus. That was me. Like, I've never, I've never taken a marketing class in my life. Maybe I shouldn't admit that in public. I don't know. <laughs> so, so let's think back up to the days of like when we were in in school. What is hypothesis, right? Like, remember, like this my science fair experiment and like what we were taught in school. Like, what is hypothesis driven thinking really mean, and how does that apply to attribution? You have perfect attribution, right? What is marketers or what is, what is us working at a company in, in operations and rev ops? What are we trying to do? We're usually trying to make, we're trying to make things better. Whatever it is, we're trying to make it better, right? So for attribution, it's like, okay, we have a dollar amount. We've attributed this activity to this much dollar to get us this much pipeline for money, closed pipeline for the revenue, right? Marketer sales, you all, you're looking at closed pipeline. Let's just talk about like closed pipeline and pipeline of bookings or whatever, whatever it is that we're talking about. You're looking at a report, right? Attribution is about a report. We report a number. One of our brand, one of our, you know, many friends would say, do we read the news or do we make the news, Brandon? <laughs> you know who I'm talking about, right? There you go. We read the news, which is here's the report. We have $4 million in pipeline this quarter. Well, I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know. So what you have to do is like, I'm encouraging the people on my team. I'm encouraging marketers. I'm encouraging the people that we interact with and we support is that you have to have an opinion. And in order to have an opinion, you have to have a hypothesis. You have to have a hypothesis. Well, $4 million is good because of blah right? Because I believe that this is a good number. And in order to make that better, this is what we did to get to that good number. And this is how we're going to do to make it better. Because that's a hypothesis. I have an opinion. And a hypothesis is backed up by some points of data that attribute like, oh, because of A, because of B, because of C, I believe in that hypothesis that $4 million in pipeline is really good. Because I was trying to do X, right? Let's say we pivoted our uh, marketing uh, uh, tactics to really double down on C-suite breakfasts because we believe that that is more effective than doing a bunch of random webinars to like everyone. So right? there's your, your hypothesis, right? There you the go. Term, your hypothesis is we're going to double down on in-person things. Right. Okay. Right? So then, and definitionally, and you can correct me wrong, hypothesis have to be testable. Is okay to be proven wrong, right? Your goal yeah, is not to just absolutely. say, right? You want to prove or disprove our, your hypothesis because that leads to insight. Right, you have to have okay. an opinion. So, but I want to go slow here. I want to slow okay. down. I want to slow down. <laughs> slow okay. down to speed right. up. Slow you're you're down. getting just excited because, here. Because I love this, but I want to go back. So you've got a hypothesis, and your yep. hypothesis is if we host more events, that's going to move the pipeline needle further than doing other right. things, essentially, right? right? Mm-hmm. And that that is a testable hypothesis mm-hmm. because we can now run measure. more events and see if it moves the needle faster. Mm-hmm. What metrics are you then using to measure? Is it just purely based on that, or are there other metrics? Or are you setting those out at the top? What does that look like? How are you laying out your test, I guess, is how I'm asking. That's right. So the first, so the first thing you have to do was is before you go do the thing, right? Just, most people do the thing and then they try to make the hypothesis, and it's like cart before the horse. So first, right. and you can do it one of two ways, which is like, what can you measure, right? Usually, I like to actually start with what can I measure because you can go and derive all these testable hypotheses, and then you're going to get stuck and be like, well, I don't have the data to actually measure that. So then you got to go back to the drawing board, right? Because mm. 
You know, so I because it's not because it's not a hypothesis because it's not testable because you don't have the data, so you can't actually exactly. test it. So yeah. I actually start with it goes both ways, right? It's like, well, you know, we can test that in about three years when we get the data to where it's supposed to be. I'm like, well, that's not going to work. So I actually like to narrow down my universe with what data do I have today, right? Because if, if I need to like go quick and Brandon knows me a lot, like I like to go quick. <laughs> like if you like, there's there's a kind of short term and medium and long term view, right? Like I like to start with what can I measure today. To get quick wins, what can I measure today and build a hypothesis and then get to where I'm going? Now the, the and then the long game is what do I want to what do I want to test? What do I need to measure? Make sure I can go measure. And if I don't, I better put the infrastructure to go and measure it. Right. And figure out those are the important things. And the thing is like for a marketer, for a salesperson, it's really like for a marketer, it's the same five things, all the same. Like does it like so any I, company? I, I think that's the thing that people get wrong the most though. Mm. is people like we have a hypothesis and which mm. is usually not definitionally a hypothesis. They just have like a guess, like a thing we think will work, right? Gut feeling mm -hmm. directionally. Mm -hmm. This worked in my last company. This worked for this company four years ago. Like it's a guess. They go do the, they go start doing the thing, right? So mm -hmm. they'll start planning these events to start doing the thing. And then they're like, okay, now we got to track. Like we got to set up all this tracking and figure out like, Too yeah, late. like we're halfway through. We got to go back and backfill all this data. We got to like do all this stuff to then try to prove that this was or was not valuable. And by the way, I think most people go back and they say, I want to prove that it was valuable. They don't worry about proving that it wasn't valuable. And so uh, design, it's a thing in, like we call it a scientific experimental design. We have to design the experiment first before we got to go execute the experiment. Right. God, so there's a whole discipline. Yeah. It's a whole, right. Like if you go read a scientific paper, I have to write the methodology out. Like this is my proposed methodology. And I need to go make sure like I have all my test tubes and I have all the things that I can go measure because I can't carry the experiment out if I don't haven't designed the experiment. And that's a, that's a whole skill set in itself, right. As a scientist, definitely probably a foreign concept to a marketer who didn't go to school to be a scientist. <laughs> right. And that's called experimental design, right. It's like, and are you designing the right experiment? So I find a lot of people get stuck on, they have a question and there, there's a, I, I just gave many, I've given many webinars and I just finished giving a webinar last week and I can send you someone the link, the recording, I can post it on LinkedIn, which is how do we turn a question into an actual testable hypothesis? There's a translation. That's actually part of experimental design, right? It's like, oh, we have low number of MQLs. How do we get more? That's not a testable hypothesis, right? How do you turn that into a testable hypothesis? From a te Then from a testable hypothesis, you go into experimental design, experimental design, then you determine what you're going to measure, and then what does that measurement mean, right? Because How okay, frequently? You can do all that. So, so you get to this point, and then I'm going to take us through an example because I actually have yep. like a real world scenario sure. right now that I'm working on that would actually yeah. be really interesting to get your there take you on. Go. This will be this will be almost like a free consulting call for me and one of the companies <laughs> I'm working with. I'll send you the bill. Uh, Sending you the bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not not me. I ain't paying for it, um, but. Uh, so what's your, how do you time frame it? Because like also definitionally, I assume you have mm. to pick like at this point, we'll know whether this was successful or not. And the world moves very quickly where we are, right? There's no right. waiting a year to find out if this was a successful strategy or not, because in a year, you're going to be out of runway for a lot of companies or you're, you'll be too far gone. You have to pivot much more quickly than that. So how do you time frame this? So then it's, I mean, that's part of the experimental design. So like, let's actually, let's use an example and then we can talk through it. Because it's really whether you like my rat in a, or the, the mice in a, in a maze to get the cheese, right? It's I like, changed it to mice because I thought it would be a little more pleasant, by the way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Mice are cute. They're cute and cuddly, right? Like, so if you have like a brown mice and a white mouse, right? And if you're like, which one's faster? And you just kind of let them run around the field with no start endpoint, you don't know. 
you have to put them through a very like a start and a finish line, right? We start them at the same time. They have to get to the cheese and we're going to measure who gets first to the cheese. So it's a very like in a box time frame. So give me an example and then let's talk about how we would, yeah. how we would inbox that. So I, I'll give you an example. I'm going to randomize this a little bit, okay. but working with a the company, they are working, the channel sales has historically been their sort of like bread and butter. That was very difficult during the pandemic, obviously, channel sales, because they, they do like in-person channel sales. It's always been their thing. Their our hypothesis essentially is that actually very similar to what the one you brought up at the start is that hosting events, like hosting mm -hmm. more events, hosting tons of events strategically will move the needle from a just total revenue standpoint, right? Um, so, so the things that we can measure, I'll admit I actually started there. So the things that we can measure are attendees, RSVPs, so total invites, RSVPs, attendees, no-shows, and then resulting revenue, right? Like pipeline and then resulting mm -hmm. revenue. We can like go all the way through. We can see all of those things. So, and I, and like, I could even walk through my hypothesis, right? So my hypothesis was that we would invite, they're like dinners and luncheons and that sort of event. So my hypothesis, we'd get like a 10% show rate or 10% RSVP rate for the invites. And that of those, we'd get about 75% actual show rate to the event. And of those, maybe one in five would actually come, become pipeline. And of that, you know, one in three will close roughly somewhere right. along that line. And we used a bunch of historic data to come up with like directional numbers that I thought were accurate. But the, the sort of issue, and this is why I bring up the time question, is blowing it out of the water in terms of RSVPs, like 40% RSVPs and 90% show rates, just like insane, right? And, and people are just excited to come to events again. So far, that's fantastic. And the pipeline is starting to show because it's early stage. It's going to take some time to build some of that pipeline. That I'm comfortable. We're going to hit our goal. or We're going to prove that hypothesis, right? The deal cycle is real long, real long. It's going to take nine months for anything to close on any of these deals. Right. So how do what do I have to wait nine months to declare this success? How do I determine that my hypothesis is correct, even though my underarching metric as an operations professional is revenue, right? And I know I'm going to have to wait nine months to get any dollars out of this deal. Ready? <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. I'm waiting. Tell me All that right. I can go back and be like, we did it. We're successful. Yeah. No. So like, so we you know, we face the same thing in marketing as well. So like, okay. So you you did a lot of tough, right? Like so. Did people come means people are interested, right? All of the top of funnel stuff, right? Which is like, hey, did you attend? Did you show? Blah, 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 right? That answers a different question, right? Which is like, well, answers like, do are people interested? It doesn't answer the question, did the right people show up, right? Which you, right? Because that's a different question. So I will did say, I actually don't, I don't up? have that question. I didn't include it in my hypothesis because I am, we only invited the right people. Okay. It was built into the top of the funnel. Great. Okay. So. What you've got is you've got people that show that are super excited and then you've got open opportunity and pipeline close, right? And so we can't sit here and be like, I'll give you a report in nine months. We'll see you later, <laughs> right? And there are things that you can do. So you got to rev, right? You got to rev and like how do you optimize? So what is a typical indicator success between an event and an open opportunity? Like they're talking you know? to us. They're taking they're a meeting. They're having yeah, a conversation. They're, yeah. they're looking at our content. Yes. Yeah. Right. So what you're saying is figure out how to measure earlier indicator metrics to show that something is likely to be successful you in the ways to, that you think it will be. Right. So think about all the things that happen between going to the events and either close pipe, open pipeline or closed pipeline. There's a lot of things that happen in between. Yeah. From a so how I think about it is like okay we handle right like from a marketing perspective I'm interested in well how many meetings came out of that because meetings is an indicator meetings hand raisers engagements it could be opportunity stages it could be velocity of opportunity stages so if you're kicking it from a sales lens or a rev ops lens you know less about the marketing but like it's the whole picture right if the person is engaged if an account is engaged right are you looking at like account engagement right like those are 
indicators, both from a sales and a marketing. Like if I'm thinking, Brandon, from your previous life, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? It's like, is the account engaging? This has to do with like ABM and account-based analytics, right? Do you see whether it's like, you know, from our previous friend here, John Miller, right? The, The engagement minutes from the sales and marketing, those are all the meat between the sandwich, the bread from the event to the closed one pipeline. We've got yeah. the meat of the sandwich. There's a ton of things that are indicators that you don't have to wait until like, oh, when's pipeline? And that allows you to cycle through more hypotheses. You're not just sitting and waiting around between the event and the thing. It's like, okay, I did this event. How many meetings did I get? Can I make more meetings out of this, right? Can I take the people and this is, and I sent you all the deck and you'll see that I've talked that customers are frogs on lily pads. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Mice or cheese. Your poor customers, just no love for them at all. <laughs> right? It's like, it's like we're trying to get them to leap to the very end of pipeline. That, that doesn't happen. They usually leap a couple lily pads in between, right? And so how can we measure that? And so that's why, you know, it's really important to understand what are indicators. More people on the account are engaging. People are spending more time with sales and marketing. Those are all intermediate metrics, right? So I'm thinking about, you know, engagement, intent, like all of those things from, you know, we use, I don't know, am I allowed to say, we use demand base and what am I allowed so, to say demand base? So what, what, I'm sort of, what I'm sort of gleaning from this is what you're recommending, and tell me if I'm totally off base here, is, is that if I can measure all of these indicators, like say that, go back to that strategy, I can measure all these indicators, the meetings are being booked, it's the right people, we're creating pipeline. I can see that pretty early, right? I can see yeah. that within a month or two after the event came to the strategy. See, you can see it early. So, but what I'm gleaning then is that at that point, the struggle that I have, and I think a lot of operators have, is that I don't feel comfortable calling something a success until there's money in the bank account. And it's going to be a long time for that. So, but what, what I'm gleaning is that I can actually say the strategy is successful because it's done the things that I hypothesized it to do. And it is theoretically still possible that none of this will result in revenue, which it shouldn't be possible, but it is like theoretically. And if that's true, if we get all of the right indicators leading up to the deal closed and then nobody signs a contract, something else happened. The hypothesis itself, the events worked somewhere else is causing this failure, right? And then you can go do something about it. And because it's like, it's not, um, and this is a little bit on like more of like, you know, then we talked about like practitioner, like if you think about it, our executives, the managers, the VPs, it's not that like, oh my God, you have to be right. They are, are going to worry less when like, hey, you're doing something about it, you're watching it, and you're making it better. Fail fast. Like in the, in, from a healthcare perspective, from a, you know, a pharmaceutical perspective, it's, right, they, it's all about failing fast. Try a lot of things, fail fast. Because that means if you fail fast, that means failing fast is just as good as optimizing. It's a form of optimization. You're learning. You're learning. That's all people care about. And the thing is, so, if you're, yeah, go ahead. If you're, if you're able no, to learn faster, you know, that's, that's what they care about. Yeah. So I guess my other question, because I do this a lot and I'm wondering if it works into your process when you present like, hey, this is our hypothesis and we're going to do this strategy to test it. And here's, do you get agreement cross departmentally, cross functionally about here's the things we're going to look at from a success standpoint? If these are all true, then we're going to say this. Are you aligning on that level of metrics in advance? 
I think from an execution standpoint, that's a level that, right, because you're, you're executing a plan together. Um, I think having sh- agreed upon what success looks like is really important. Yeah, that's exactly um, what it is, right? I think it's important to understand like what the long-term measurement of success is. And I think there's a difference between alignment, there's inform, or like, do we need to agree? Because like to get agreement on the complete methodology, it just depends on what team. Are you doing like externally? to the team, external to the team or in, within your team? Because usually it's, you know, like within marketing, it's like, okay, this is what we would do within marketing. This is the, the meat of the sandwich. And this is what we should be doing in marketing. And then like the marketing and sales alignment is like, okay, our shared measure of success is, you know, that open, yeah. that pipeline. I think that's I think that's the piece that's real important. So the things that I think people miss that you've touched on very deeply and very well are starting with what you can measure before you actually form a hypothesis seems very, very important. Forming a hypothesis that is you know, directionally measurable and actually then communicating and coordinating around what success looks like before you even kick this thing off. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Like we have to define all of that before we start this process. And if you do all that, then you can at least test this thing and move quickly. Right. I think what also like, okay, you can do all that. You can, here's the measurement. But then it's like where people get stuck is what do you do with the data like already have a plan and so a lot of times what i will do with my stakeholders is i will just pop up a blank excel sheet and i'll like put in some mock data to get the discussion going it's like okay if we see this are you happy or sad what are we going to write what does that mean to get them thinking about that what because like if you get to the report because usually people think like oh i got to the report and then you present to your boss or vp the SEMA, whatever the next question that most people get flat-footed on is well, now what? Are you happy or sad yeah, about that? Well, yeah. I don't know. I got to go right, think about right. that. Well, what was our goal, right? What was our, I love that. One of the smartest people I know makes me share my screen once in a while on calls and he'll be like, when in doubt, Excel it out. Well, she do an shared, <laughs> shared screen Excel and type it all in. And like, this is what we're going to do in an Excel. It's there. We're green. This is the format. This is how we're going to look at it. It's ready to go, right? When in doubt, Excel it out. Well, to your um, point earlier, Jess, is like a number itself doesn't mean anything. It's got to be within context. Right. And, and I also like your earlier point about like you can also put together mini hypotheses along the way. And this is what I'm trying to figure out all the time, too, is all right. So we have this event and we have a lot of these leads, but they're stuck at this deal stage. All right. What can we do? What are, what's our hypothesis on how we can then get it unstuck from stage two to stage three or whatever that is? Right. Um, so, that's- yeah. So your hypothesis could be like, is the right people on the is the right people on that deal stage? Right. Do you make them the champions and help them get the buy-in or mm-hmm. is it like not top of mind? So then that's a different thing where you do like retargeting efforts on LinkedIn or something like that, right? You mm-hmm. can try it. Form a new hypothesis, happens. define your methodology, define your success criteria, and then launch your test. And I'm, all, I'm, I'm always thinking about too, like how quickly and how low risk can I make these tests? Let's well, actually yeah. goes to a different point back to like earlier in the conversation you actually can't wait for statistical significance on a lot of these things, Jess. So what are you supposed to do? Use your gut? I've been in this business long enough to know, like I can pretty much tell how some of these marketing campaigns are going to go before <laughs> yeah, exactly. they run because yeah. I've seen them. I've just seen them so much. Yeah. Right. Well, and yeah. Like, and you can also inject like Gartner data in, right? Like you can go, if you're looking for some, use some benchmarks, use some benchmarks. Like that's the only thing benchmarks are really good for is. Yeah. I hate benchmarks too. It's like, yeah. there's no two companies or situations. But if you've got, if you, right. There was like, yeah, Gartner says like software companies I'm like, yeah, but like that's such a broad category. Software it's a companies. starting place. Right. That's about it. Yeah. So, okay, points, I, like, I, make sure it, it matches your, your scenario as much as you can. Use benchmarks. 
I have to segue us. This has been really fascinating. There's one massive lie, though, that you said that I have to call out. One thing that I just <laughs> fundamentally disagree with that you said, which was way at the beginning, you said Brandon has a mutual friend of you. And Brandon doesn't have friends. So everything else spot on. Everything else is spot on. That suspect at best, he lost all credibility to start the podcast. <laughs> and the, the audience knows. Don't worry, they know. But it's time. Anything else on this before I segue us? There's right. probably like a million things, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, use the scientific method. By the way, I love the idea of like making like a marketing analyst, marketing ops analyst, make me like a tag board with their scientific method. Like it was a science fair sort of tag board. I just, <laughs> it's fair. just like a thing that I want. Just yeah, a thing that like, I want to happen. Do you remember the tripod? Yeah, like the tripod. Yeah, exactly. yeah, I want yeah. them to like put their here's my hypothesis. Here's my like, all of it. Maybe use some data, strings and connect. Like a, you, know, you know, like the volcano out front and all those things. So uh, <laughs> I just. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I need it. I need that in my life for some reason. But all right, then I'm going to segue us forward to this week on LinkedIn. So this week on LinkedIn, Jessica, if you've never listened to the podcast is when we get a random question and we just ask it out of the blue. I haven't read this one yet. I think Brandon actually read this one, which is mildly cheating. And <laughs> we, we answered on the podcast and there we go. So this is the question. I've been stuck at the director level for a few years and I haven't been able to make the jump to the next level. I have deep technical expertise and know systems better than most people out there. What advice do you have for me? Yeah, I'm pretty sure Brandon catered this question to you. He, he's got a list and I think he pulled this one for you. And so so I'll let, I'll let you just start. We get a, I just will say we get a lot of career advice. Like yeah. that, that is the number one question that we get. It's around careers. Yeah, you know, and like the only advice I ever give anybody is if you're an SDR, go into ops. That's it. Like, <laughs> that's, that's you know, anyway, we'll have to chat later because like, I have all these things about career that are like in my head and soul and like all this content I want to produce. So we'll, we'll have to. Yeah, you have a PhD in your background. I have a law degree in mine. Brandon's right? what? Basket weaving? <laughs> underwater basket weaving. <laughs> underwater right, basket right. weaving. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what I always figured. Um, but anyway, the question, Jessica. All right, yes. ready? Okay, so... And I think this is really important because like, we're all very technical people, right? Like, and that's where I see, like, I see a lot of my peers are getting stuck at this exact level. And my, myself are I'm going through this journey as like, you know, I've known Brandon and I've known people, most of the, a lot of people in the community and many people have seen me kind of rise through the career as well. And I've had to learn all of these things along the way. And it's a different, and I think it's a special, especially for technical people, because we have a very unique set of challenges that we have to overcome because we are like, We've been over-indexed on like, like my, my subject matter expertise is Marketo and marketing automation, where to break to the next level, right? To break into the senior director level, to break into like upper management, we have to almost think about what got you here isn't going to get you there. What got us, like what we were valued for, the geeky speak, isn't going to get you to the C-suite. And so the job is completely different. 90% of my job now is about alignment, is about working coaching the team and the people, right? Like I have a rule where my team basically doesn't allow me to log into Marketo anymore. It's about roadmap, vision, alignment, communication, what the vision and the strategy is in plain English. And that is the hardest thing for a very technical, scientific person to have to explain things in English because all day, every day, no one understands what the heck I'm talking about because they're not mops, they're not ops, they're not mm -hmm. a PhD scientist. And it's a skill set that we have to learn. There's that skill set, right? Translating like what we do, like what my team does, who's still very technical, 
translating that, it's how do you build alliances with your manager and your manager's peers as a to be a senior director and to get above that. My primary one of my primary things is to get buy in of my roadmap from my manager's peers. So if you think about what that is a very like very different the things that typically get us here successfully as up to the kind of the director level. Language, it's alignment, it's like all day, every day, I am just a PR person, right? I am talking yeah. to people above, upwards and across all day, every day. There's a soft skill perspective on executive leadership and executive communication and knowing and, and just the concept, like one of the most valuable things that I've been taught from my mentor, multiple mentors of mine is to gain alignment. The most important things happen before the meeting and after the meeting not during the meeting. You're not getting alignment at the meeting. That is not the first time that they've seen that. You have gotten the alignment in the hallway conversations. And now it's difficult to have hallway conversations, but it's a Teams chat or a Slack chat, right? Mm -hmm. It's completely different. So like, actually I was talking to someone and they now, I forget, I used a different analogy, but like they, were, they gave me the analogy of Survivor, right? When you go to Survivor and they vote the people off the island, they're not making the alliances at the meeting. They're making the alliances like beforehand, <laughs> sure. right? And at the meeting, that's not where they're deciding or approving or whatever. All of that work has happened before the meeting. You get to the meeting and like you vote or you know, you have the discussion or they've already made up their minds. So when you know, especially in operations when like well, I'm trying to get approval of lead scoring, I'm trying to get like them, you know, alignment on whatever that we're doing, naming conventions, like you name it. All that happens and the majority of the work is communicating, bringing alignment so that I can give air cover to my team for them to go do it, right? Because how many times have we like, I'm just going to do lead scoring and like, we just can't move the needle because we just can't get people to agree. We build it and then you have 10 people that are like all like pissed off because they all want their own thing or however you want, right? 90% of the work is the alignment. And a lot of times what I hear from operations people is like, I just want to do the job. I'm like, guess what? The job is communicating in the light. Yeah. yeah. So you use your PhD. I use my law degree a lot. And one of the things they tell you in law school is literally like the first day of law school, they ask you a question and then you answer it and they say that's wrong. The right answer in law is always, it depends. It depends. Yeah. It depends. It depends. And because uh, I think everything you've said is spot on for most people, right? Like these are the most, some of the most common things that keep people from elevating past director is what you've touched on. But I get this question a lot and I always start it with, do you know who makes that decision? And have you asked them why you haven't been elevated higher Absolutely, than that? Absolutely, yeah. Do you know why? Ask, have you asked why? Do they know that you want to be promoted? Do, have they given you feedback? Here's the three areas you need to improve. And it might be communication, right? Like one of the key things you've touched on is both lateral communication pre, before and after meetings, eliminating technical speak, showing leadership skills by doing those things. Like all that's very true. Or it might just be like you're not following through enough right? Like ask somebody, make sure they know that you want to be promoted and ask them why you haven't. If you believe that you have, this is not a thing that's going to go wrong for you. You know, we don't ever talk about like, what is it? Like, do people really know what it takes to get promoted? Do they really, especially in a technical field, we tend to lean towards like, if I do good work, it right. will showcase well. But like when I have to get someone promoted, it's a 12 month brand building mm -hmm. exercise. It is yeah. about making sure that they show up to certain meetings and they have the opportunity to present in a certain way with a certain type of audience to build the brand. Because at the end of the day, to go from a director to a director, there's like upper management that has to vote and say, hey, I am behind 
so-and-so getting promoted usually over someone else. So they have to, essentially you're back on Survivor Island, Survivor. You're, you're no. getting voted, right? And I think a lot of folks, especially from the technical from the technical space, right? Yes, it depends, but like from the technical space, like a lot, and I'm going to use my 95%, a lot of it is because we haven't been exposed to, right? Because we've been rewarded for being a subject matter expert. We've never, right? Yeah. And, and our and trust, and this was a big aha moment for me, which was I have a subject matter experts like myself, we have garnered trust due to our technical knowledge, but the technical knowledge isn't going to gain the trust for you to make that jump. Yeah, absolutely. Where I was going to go with this question is actually, it takes a lot of self-awareness and it also takes having, having mentors or having really good bosses. I remember I was actually on a one-on-one with John Miller. We were doing our walking one-on-one in San Mateo. And I was, and I, I was like, I feel stuck at this director level here. And John's like, well, you know what? You're probably one of the best executors I've ever worked with, but what you actually don't do a good job at is, is getting work done through other people. It's like, you're, you're at this level now. You don't have to be the one that's always doing the hard work. I'm up at midnight, you know, in Marketo doing all these things. It's like, you had actually be better off figuring out how to work with others to get these things done. So I was lucky to obviously have someone like John Miller who would tell me that. But if someone doesn't tell you that, like, do, are you building the right relationships with other people who will be honest with you, who will give you that feedback to help you get to that? Yeah, level. my mentor was like, you because now I'm managing managers, right? Man- yep. I have two le- multiple layers. And he's like, it's a second order problem. I'm like, what are you talking about? What is a second order problem? It's like, <laughs> you, you can't tell them how to solve the problem in Marketo. You have to give them the framework for them to go figure it out, which is a completely different skill set. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. so foreign, so different. And that's a skill set that you have to know. Like the, Back to your point, Brandon, about awareness. You have to be aware that what you're, what, how to approach a second level manager, like a manager of a manager, is completely different. And it's hard. It's a different skill set. And you got to go practice that skill set. Yeah, totally agree. Love it. Anything else we want to add for that? Nothing? Brandon, there's no books you want to recommend? Nothing? Yeah, wanna, there's, so, like, <laughs> there's so much. So many books. There's so much. I love the Coaching for Leaders podcast. I, I love Harvard. Books. We don't hawk other podcasts no. on the OGL no. podcast. All right. That is not, I'm cutting them. I'm just kidding. I love my Harvard Business Review articles. I think it's like the best mm. investment. By the way, the made. little, the, the, I always pick them up at the airport because I travel a ton for work. The, the little HBR books that has like five, you know, different oh, books heck inside yeah. that are like basically exclusively at Brookstone at the airport. Those <laughs> things are fantastic for all these soft skills. Right. And it's like, it's such a, a little over a hundred dollars for a yearly subscription. I mean, it's the best thing. And I think, I think what's what's also challenging is there's so many articles you don't know which one to read. And so I have a I have a curated list, ones that yeah. have helped me. Yeah, super helpful. Right, well, yeah. we'll we'll put that in the show. We'll, we'll notes. put yeah. we'll put a link in the show notes. Cool. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, This episode was sponsored by SalesBrand, which is LinkedIn Consulting with Alec Paul. If you're interested in working with Alec Paul, uh, reach out to him on LinkedIn. I personally worked with him. This is three years ago now for a little bit, and he was very tremendously helpful in, in my LinkedIn approach and strategy, and he still sends me things to do, and I do them sometimes. He so, made Jordan uh, into everything he is today. Everything that, I, like everything that you see before <laughs> you right now is all Alec Paul. But no, he's tremendously awesome at, uh, at doing that. So, uh, and LinkedIn is an awesome resource if you're looking to get ahead in your career, going back there to you the go. we just talked about. So circling it back. 
But if you like this episode, give us five stars wherever you listen to your podcast. Feel free to send us your messages and your questions for this week on LinkedIn. If you're interested in being a guest, we also have a guest sign-up form on our website at ogopspod.com. And there is a meme library there that you can also check out if you feel like having a bit of an ops laugh. And that's it for this week. Jess, thank you so much for joining us. We'll find out if Brandon really has friends next week. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) Thanks, Jess.